and so as we continue on through, uh, through Habakkuk, we reach a, a section of the scripture um, where there's a lot of talk of, of justice, a lot of talk of, of woes, and a lot of talk um, of, of glory. And so I want to open up with a question, and the question is this, is church, what is frustrating you in this season? Or more specifically, what is frustrating you maybe even this morning as maybe what you have come in with? And what about God is carrying you through that frustration? What are you frustrated with? And what about God is carrying you through that frustration? Our theme throughout the entire book of Habakkuk has been this. It's been faith amidst frustration. And what a timely book. I don't know about y'all, but for me in my own life, like what a timely book, even for this morning. I mean, we're trying to have a, a, a moment, you know, uh, with, with the Lord and singing. And, and then sometimes we have our kids that are next to us and there's chairs going off and falling and, and there's chaos that's happening. But listen, church, in the midst of, of the chaos, glory has been made available. Glory in itself, Jesus has made himself available in in the chaos, in the midst of parenting, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of trying to control, in the, in, in, in the midst of trying to meet deadlines, in the, midst of, in the midst of maybe not having as much in your bank account as you wanted, or maybe the limitations that COVID has brought to our world, in the midst of just so much frustration and so much expectation not being met, the Lord, he makes himself available to you and to me this morning, now and forever because of Jesus. So that's, that's our hope, that faith, what are you frustrated with? And what, is, what about God is carrying, carrying you through that frustration? Because suffering, if just, it feels weighty until we compare it to the weight of glory to be revealed. And we saw there in Habakkuk, Josue ended last week, that, that if we don't get ourselves into the watchtower, if we ourselves in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of, of frustration, if we do not go to the watchtower, if we not go to a higher place to, to get perspective, to get eternal perspective, then we'll be uh, dependent upon the circumstances around us. But Jesus came, and he, he came not to deliver us out of our circumstances, but to dwell with us in the midst of the circumstance, to give us a peace and a glory. What are we frustrated with? What about God is carrying us through that frustration? Because if we don't go to the watchtower, if we don't go to that, that place of, of, of tuning into the Lord and we just kind of at the mercy of circumstance, then, then it'll affect how we wait. How are we waiting, church, when we don't feel God? We don't feel his presence. We don't sense what he's up to. And where will we turn for relief? Because Habakkuk opens up, opens up this section with, verse 5, moreover, in the wait, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Church, in the frustrating wait, do we turn to wine to fill our hearts? Because it's a traitor. Nothing in itself wrong with wine, nothing wrong with enjoying some drink, but to, for us to pursue that, to, to be, to, for our souls to feast on that for, for worth and value and for comfort, it will betray you. Quite physically, the next morning, if you have too much, if you know what I'm saying. Wine is a traitor. In the frustrating weight, do we turn to arrogance do we, or anger because there isn't rest there, we see Moses who got angry, and he was forfeited rest of the promised land because he got angry and hit a rock. 
and wouldn't wait on the Lord. Noah himself had seen God deliver, and what's God do in the midst? I mean, he delivers his people. Noah experiences it. Man, massive deliverance. And after that, what's Noah do? He gets plastered, parties it up way too hard, exposes himself again to what God had for him in himself. In the frustrating weight, do we turn to greed? And my man Solomon writes an entire book called Ecclesiastes, saying that if we pursue things here on this, world, on this earth, it's like striving after the wind, full of vanity. But God invites us this morning, rather than turning to these responses, God invites us to behold him in his glory. Because when we behold God in his glory, it, it enables us to wait on him in the midst of the wait. Did you know that glory literally means weight in the Bible. That's why C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Weight, The Weight of Glory, because God's glory is a weight for us in the midst of the weight to center ourselves and not rest on our own glory. See, the title this morning, uh, man, if I could just like summarize what we're talking about, it's Five Woes to Glory Thieves. Five prophetic woes to glory thieves, because by nature, we, attempt, we are attempting to steal God's glory for ourselves. The Babylon, like Babylon's, like they don't play. They were a ruthless people. If you tune into the first sermon, you'll hear a little bit more about their background, how ruthless and how brutal Babylon was. And the, and the scriptures say that Babylon rested in their own, their own might. They rested in their own strength, attempting to steal God's glory for themselves. And the scriptures would say it, were, it would result in shame. This word woe. It's, it's, a, it's a prophetic uh, proclamation that doom is coming. Good morning to you, church. So glad you're here. I hope you know if you got a, your coffee this morning, ready to rock and roll, but that that's where the text landed us. Because here's the deal, church. If we, if we don't rest in the justice of God, if we think God is just love and, you know, my God is the God just of the New Testament, we miss the full picture of who God is. Like, we, we, we need him to be just, for all the things that are jacked in our world and all the things that are broken in this world, Habakkuk 2 comes in the picture and says, God's going to make things right. He's going he's to make things right with Babylon. He's going to make things right with the brokenness in our world. He's going to make things right with the orphan and the widow. And, and, and for all the chaos that we may be enduring or going through, God will be sure to his promise to make things right. But in the meantime, because God is glorious and because God is love and he is compassionate, he's also just. Because of this reality of these two things, we, we, he comes out with a, with a woe. And before you think, oh man, this is just like Old Testament talk. And then Jesus in Matthew 23, he's going to have a woes to himself. A whole chapter where Jesus says, no, religious people, you guys are a brood of vipers. You guys are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but on the inside full of dead men's bones. Our main idea this morning is this, that faith in the gospel, faith in the good news, is where shame goes to die, so that glory and delight may live. That God's glory and our delight and our enjoyment are not intended to be separated, but they're intended to be connected. As we glorify God, we enjoy him. So our first and second woes this morning is, there's, the first two woes deal with woes to the greedy. It says in verse 6, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? 
How long could this be? The prophet's coming out saying, God's going to be true to his word and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Habakkuk is saying Babylon is condemned because they've already taken advantage of others and they're, 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 they're taking pledges, they're taking financial pledges uh, and, using, and, and collecting those things with an unjust uh, pursuit. Because business and commerce can always be manipulated to gain unfair advantage. Beware, church, of how we make our living and the unjust practices that we may be pursuing. Because as glory thieves, sometimes we look at money and we get consumed by it, that we find ourselves doing things that we never maybe thought we'd, we, we'd really do. I've heard it said that money changes people. I don't think money changes people. I, I think it reveals really where people's hearts are at. 1 Timothy 6 says this, for the love of money. Hear that, y'all? Not the, not the, the uh, money in itself, but the love, the perverted, lustful desire for money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The love of money, it can take people to places they never thought they'd go. Some of y'all don't know this about myself, but uh, my first job when I, um, when I was done with football, uh, I was 17 and uh, went to go apply at Luby's. Uh, I don't know if y'all know about Luby's Cafeteria. Um, maybe not because I think they're sold out and don't even exist, except the one in Katy, all right? So the one in Katy off Mason Road, like that thing's still going strong. Um, applied there. I was actually denied the job at the beginning, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I you're going to die. You're going to deny me. So the Lord had to humble me a little bit. I mean, it's Luby's. I mean, they're, it, like you're not even officially a waiter. All you do is fill up tea and drinks and like you're already getting your food and sitting down. It's not even like the official waiter job. But I, but I finally got the job and I was being trained in like when you collect those tips. And, uh, and then at the end of the night, you, we would all sit down and we just throw all the cash on, on the table. All right. And so with all that cash would be thrown out on, on the table, and, uh, and we'd be counting our tips, and I didn't know what I was doing. But the person who would train me said, here's what you do, Aaron. Here's a $20 bill. Put this in your pocket. Don't say anything. So I was like, cool, 20 bucks? Like, I, okay, all right. Because the rule of the policy there at the table is that we would have to claim a certain amount of tips, or all of our tips, sorry, claim all of our tips and a certain percentage of that would go somewhere else. And so for a while, I kept putting 20s in my pocket. Because at first I was like, yeah, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. But like other, everybody else is kind of doing it. And I want some cash. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for college. I ain't got no money. I'm broke. But there I am at Luby's, waiting tables. And after over some time of dealing with putting money in my pocket and going back home, it just it brought such a chaos and anxiety in my soul that deep down, even though everybody else was doing it, I knew it was wrong. And it was in that moment I was faced with a choice. Do I do what everybody else is doing, take matters into my own hands, or really trust that God's going to provide, that he is going to be my provider? So I started claiming all my tips out of conviction. And they started placing me in places around Luby's where, like, it wasn't as busy. And so I wasn't making amount, that, that much amount of money. But long story short, I'll end with, with this, is... Man, those old people, y'all, there at Luby's, that love, that love their, their, uh, their liver and love their macaroni and all the kids that would eat there. Uh, like you got, that's what I love about the place. You got old people, young people, all the people there at that place. I, I was able to go through college because of, of how the Lord was able to provide. 
But it was so easy in that moment to, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seize this. Because, y'all, the, 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 the love of money, if we're not careful in our pursuit of our own glory, we'll want to seize it for ourselves to, to provide our own security. But greed, church, is a bottomless pit. The root of the love of money is a lust for security. In verses 9, this next section, it's going to get close to home, y'all, for us here in the Burbs. Look with me in, in verse 9 of chapter 2. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. I mean, the wickedness uh, that, that in this home, now, now we're not just talking about like a people group. Like this is getting really close to home. It's getting close to the family. It's, the wickedness is so much that the wood in the house is literally protesting against the injustice. Greed isn't just a personal thing. Sin is not just a personal thing, but it affects a community. And the Bible says that they, were, they, would, they, would, uh, they, were, they would set their nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. This nest, it symbolizes there in Scripture that what eagles would do is they would go and, and take things, take material, and they would bring it back to their nest. I don't know if you've been to the zoo, seen the eagle there and seen that nest, pretty profound. You've got to go get some logs to build that nest, right? So the, this, the, what the Scriptures are saying is that these Bab- the Babylons, they would come in and, and take advantage through unjust means and then make a nest for themselves. They were exchanging glory for shame. And in that desire, they thought they were invincible. They thought, they can't, you can't touch us. Do you not know who we, who we are? And there in this verse, this word nesting, or this word nest, I began to think about the word nesting in our culture. I never knew about nesting until I got married. Never even written, crossed my mind. Because if you found my house when I, was a, when I was a single dude, I didn't even know what dusting was until my wife showed up. She's like, man, you gotta, we got to clean, clean this up. And then we got married. And then we had to go uh, get our house all fixed up and, and, and nice and, uh, you, you know, with fixer-upper kind of people that, uh, that got those things with shiplap and we didn't go to the shiplap. But we definitely went to Hobby Lobby a lot, right, to get some, some things and some truths, which is good and great, y'all. Hear me. Nesting, I think, is a good thing. We should create a safe environment in our home unless it involves Hobby Lobby because that's, that's the enemy's territory, just kidding. Uh, I just can't do Hobby Lobby, but I did because we wanted to create a safe and warm environment where I'm glad I have scriptures in front of me in my home to check myself. But we as a culture, we, we, we can nest, but if we're not careful, we can treat our nests as the ultimate form of security and retreat to our little kingdoms without rega- regard for God's glory and his kingdom. We too can fall into the trap of thinking that we're invincible and can rely solely on our own resources. And church, this is why God brings frustration. This is why God brings discomfort to detach our hearts from our own resources so that, that our hands could be and hearts could be attached to his unlimited resources. That if we didn't go through pain, we didn't go through frustration, we'd be totally content over here. But God is using comfort or discomfort to bring a comfort in himself if we tune in and if we lean in and cling. It's here the stones in the scriptures are, are, are protesting, and the result is shame. But church, there on that tree when Jesus was dying for you and for me, there were stones that were present. There were stones that were literally being split 
open wide as his arms were split wide. Why? Because as the curtain was being torn in two to give us divine glory, accessible and available glory. To despise shame and greed is to give us direct access to glory. This is our main idea, that faith in the gospel, faith in the good news is where shame goes to die so that glory and delight may live. Will we surrender self-sufficiency and false securities in our little nests and behold the glory of Jesus? Woe to the greedy. Also, woe to those who build on bloodshed. Look with me in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. The nations are weary for nothing because they're focused on their life at the expense of others. So there's violence and brutality and bloodshed and a lack of reverence for life itself. But the text says, behold. And when the text says, behold, it means look up. Because if we just look down into the chaos, we won't get eternal perspective and go to the watchtower. But the, the word is behold. Behold the Lord. Look up. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the judge and warrior, the glorious majestic one. He will make things right. And to unjustly take life is to reject the Lord of hosts who gives, who gives life. The society that makes a living on not upholding the imago Dei or that we are created in God's image and therefore have worth that society will fail. But we as a church, this is why we are a city on a hill to reflect God's glory in seeking justice for the orphan, the widow, the outcast, and the unborn. Social justice is not the gospel, but is an overflow of the gospel that we care for those in need and we fight for life. This, word, this verse right here, I mean, if, if I die like today, y'all slap this verse on my tombstone. Y'all ready? Micah 6.8 reads this. He has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Three things. To seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your, with your Lord. How might God be leading us to pursue justice, to love kindness, and to walk in humility? And what tension? Because there's some of us who have different bents, which is interesting, a couple weeks ago, we had some students before us, and we were getting to a passage that deals with, with God's love, and we started talking about, man, do we lean in? Like, but God is love, but he's also just. Like, there's some people in this room that are hard on the seeking justice. When it comes to, like, man, defend the orphan. We, we got to defend the weak. And it's like, yes and amen and absolutely. And, and, and we got to make things right. But also at the same time, Jesus willingly died for his enemies, prays for his enemies, and on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Do you see the tension? It's to seek justice. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But to love kindness, too. And the loving kindness people need to, yes, absolutely bounce out and say, yeah, yeah, we need to seek justice. How do we figure that out? To walk in humility. To walk in humility before the Lord and with wisdom. To look at the cross and see God's perfect love on display. And also God's perfect justice. Jesus dying and pursuing his enemies. But also the justice of God unleashing his wrath on his own son. So that we could be brought near. So that we could experience this verse. Verse 14. For the Lord, for the earth, sorry, for the earth, it will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Y'all, I found so much 
truth in this one little verse this week that this guarantee that the, that the earth, it will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon our creativity. It's not dependent on our resources. We're talking about end of year giving. We're talking about, man, participate with, with us. We're, we're talking about do what we can. But at the end of the, the day, the Lord is, he is sovereign. And he will do and he will accomplish what he wants to be done for his glory and for our good. The earth, it will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea that church God is up to something. He's up to something in the mystery, in the midst of the frustration. He's up to something. He's, he's working and he's wooing him, uh, and inviting us to, to taste and see that he is truly, truly good. Because it is in these woes, we talk about prophetic doom and, and, and judgment and, and, and things that we see there in the text. Jesus himself, he would absorb the woe. He would absorb the wrath that we deserve, and he would raise to life so that we might know him. That word for knowledge, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That, that word knowledge is not just like, I know some information. But that word knowledge, it's, it's relational. It's, 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 it's experience, shared experience. There's intimacy in that, that word knowledge. Like, I, I can say, y'all know the difference between knowing things and, and, and actually having a, a relation, relational connection. Like, the Strohs, are, they're in the World Series. I don't know if you knew that. They've been sleeping underneath the rock. We don't have to talk about it last night. Uh, it, was a, it was a rough rough night. But I'm glad it ended when it did because uh, I probably would have stayed up way too late uh, watch, watching the Strohs. But if I rode up, rolled up on Altuve, who's number 27, and I said, Altuve, hey, man, it's me. It's me, Aaron. Man, it's so good to see you. Dude, I know your batting average. Not that good at the moment. I know that how you've been hitting. I know how, hey man, you picked up that ground ball. Man, in style. Hey, will you come over to my house? Let's hang out. It is in that moment I've crossed into awkward, creepy territory with Altuve. We don't know each other, but I know him. I know things about him. But yet God, he doesn't want us to remain in the stands. He, he wants us uh, to have an intimacy with him and a, and a relational connection with him. He doesn't want us to be fans in the stands, but he wants us, wants us to join him in the field of the kingdom. He doesn't want us to remain watching from a distance, but he wants us to know him for us, to, to, to know him, for him to know us, to make much of his name as the waters cover the sea. As the waters, think about that, y'all. Y'all been to the beach? I know Galveston. Doesn't look that good, but just imagine the body of water in the midst of the muck, in the midst of the dirtiness. God says, hey, I'm still going pers- to still still give my glory. I'm still going to be about my glory. I'm still going to be about making much of my name and giving you delight. My glory and your delight is in, it's in me. There's a quote I refer to uh, from C.S. Lewis. Probably use it way too much. I don't know how many times I've re- uh, referred to it in here, but I thought, it was very good, considering the sea and the glory of the Lord filling the earth. It says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. From his book, the weight of glory. Far too easily, please, make, make, making mud pies. Man, when there's, there's, man there's, there's a boogie board available. There's waves that are happening. There's, 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 there's true delight and true freedom when we, when we say no to idols and yes to Jesus. Which brings us to our last woe, or two woes. 
woes to idolatry. Verse 15 says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord is, the right, is in his right hand and he will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Babylon was known for, for partying it up. They were, they, they were known for its parties. Look at Daniel 5, you'll see a picture there which we don't have time to go to. Like before there were frat parties, there was Babylon. There are little ears in here, so we're just going to keep it at that. But some of us, like we graduated from college, or maybe not, college is in the past, and now, now we've moved into the burbs, and we're still trying to live up the frat parties. Y'all know y'all subdivisions. Y'all know how, you know how things are done with golf carts and Yeti coolers and things alike, which I got them in my neighborhood as well. It's in our culture. Babylon is, 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 is here. But church, when we don't feel God's presence, will we turn to alcohol to feel something? Or will we trust, will we trust that despite, despite the circumstances, despite the frustration, God, I'm going to say no to idolatry and bondage, to making a living in the slums, to saying yes to the, to the glory that has been made available. Phil Wilkham has a song. It's called The Secret Place. And in there, he asked the question, where will you run, my soul? Where will you go when wells run dry to get filled? Where will you run, soul? Where will you run when wells run dry? Because verse 18 says, what profit, is in, what profit is in an idol? What a great question for us to think about. What profit is, is there in an, in an idol? Maybe immediate relief, but a lifelong pursuit of bondage. What is profit in idol? The question should be asked by all of us who are tempted to worship what is false. When it's maker, it's, it, it's, it shapes it, the text says, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For it makes trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. If you have your Bible, maybe to underline, there is no breath at all in it. Babylon did have a lot of idols in its day. And we may read this thinking, man, how could people like actually create things and then, and then, and then worship them? That's, like, that's odd. You may even re- read that with like, like a smile, like who would even do that? But there's places around the world, particularly in India, where there are idols, physical idols flooded all over the streets. And it's obvious. And, it, and darkness is literally, it's, it's felt there in some of those places. But right now, church, there are idols flooded all over our streets. And in our homes, in our hearts, they're just not as obvious as carved idols, which makes them more deceitful and easier to buy into. Do you all hear that? It's not as obvious and the enemy works in, 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 in being subtle and in, in, in working in deceit and things that are not as, as obvious. Tim Keller says that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And he, he identifies four idols. Four idols, and the first idol being comfort. Here's y'all. 
maybe get too close to home, but let's lean into this, this process because this is where healing is found. There was a couple weeks ago at staff meeting, we walked through this. Lance led us through, through these idols, and we just began to talk about repentance. And, 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 and I, I, like we talk, sometimes talk about repentance like, like it ain't fun, and it's not necessarily fun, but it's like the most healing thing we can do is to repent and believe in the gospel. And this first idol is comfort. If, if comfort has got a hold of your heart, it looks like this. It looks like someone who's laid back, someone who's easygoing, but their worst nightmare is stress or demands, the idol of comfort. The biggest problem for the, the comfort idol is boredom. And for, for someone who's worshiping comfort, others feel hurt and neglected. Now, what we, as we roll through these, the temptations can be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that person. I know that, I, oh, I know how that person is in my house, maybe even. But maybe we do a heart check here. Comfort being the first idol. Second idol is approval. Comfort, approval. This person is likable. This person's friendly on the outside. It's like what's undetected, maybe underneath the surface, is a lust for approval. And their worst nightmare, oh man, please don't reject me. Like, please like me. I'll do, I'll do whatever I can. I'm, I, I, I'll, I'll love you and I'll meet needs at the expense of my soul. Because I want you to like me. I need your affirmation. I need your acceptance. And the biggest problem for the approval idol is to be overly timid. To be overly timid and not to take risks. And others feel smothered. For those that worship the, uh, the idol of acceptance, others feel smothered. The third one is control. The idol of control. That when things, what goes undetected on the surface, we're competent, we're knowledgeable, we know some things. And our worst nightmare, it's uncertainty. And so therefore, the, the biggest emotion is anxiety. If I don't have certainty in my life, if I can't predict all the what-ifs in my mind, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what-if land. You know crazy land, as we call it in my household. We start venturing into that world of trying to find all the different avenues so that we can control, maybe manipulate, so that we get a certain output that we want. And so in that process, there's anxiety, and others feel condemned and criticized. The fourth idol is power. What goes on the outside is that we're confident, we're secure, and our worst nightmare is to be humiliated. And the biggest problem of emotion is, is anger. It's anger that in the midst of, of the weight, in the midst of God not doing what we expect him to do, our default emotion is, is, is power and, and it's anger. Because there's desires in us that aren't being met and we're attempting to use people and places and things to meet that desire. Other people feel used and manipulated. And so maybe we take an inventory, maybe we uh, maybe look at this list and, and do a little heart check to know that, that it, is, it is in Jesus we have peace. So the idol of comfort can be done away with. It is in Jesus we are loved and accepted. Therefore, we don't have to look for approval in others. In Jesus, we are secure for the, for, for the, for the control addict. In Jesus, we are righteous for the power addict. It's these idols, church. The text says that there's no breath in it. Not even a bit. And for the air that we breathe and the oxygen that we breathe, we are dependent upon oxygen to live. And if we are depending upon a lifeless thing, it will produce a lifeless life. But God is our breath. It says in Genesis 2 that when God made man, what did he do? He formed the ground and he breathed life into him. In John 20, this awkward moment when Jesus is with his disciples, 
Jesus looks at his disciples, and the text says that he breathed on them. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God. and It is breathed out by God. Reliable. Job 33.4 says the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says the lawless one, he will be revealed. The enemy, he will be revealed. Babylon will be revealed. The greater enemy of Babylon, he will be revealed. And the Lord will slay him with the breath of his mouth. And as we wait for that, Jesus breathed his last so we could find our breath in him. Idols have no life. Would we turn to life itself? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. So my last question to us is this, is how out of breath are you? Where do you turn for relief? And wherever we turn, is it choking out our desires for Jesus or is it fueling our affections for Jesus? And verse 20 reads this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And so we're going to close that way. We're going to close uh, with, with some silence and some, and some reflection because, church, again, if we, if we don't get to the watchtower, if, we, if, we just, if we're relying just on our frustrating circumstances, we won't have hope. And so I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as we end with silence, we, as we go to the watchtowers, we look to the Lord, as we look to, to who he is in these frustrating times, is where we have hope. It was Isaiah who said in Isaiah 6, after he'd been saying, woe to you, woe to you, Isaiah 6 he says, woe is me. Why? For my eyes have seen the king. And he says, I am, I am ruined. So church, maybe my prayer for us, my prayer for myself is that we would be ruined with, for, for lifeless idols. And we would be awakened to the life that's been made available in Jesus. To trust them when we don't feel it. And rather taking matters into our own hands to experience the feeling that is idolatrous, we would trust him. Because church, faith in the gospel is where shame goes to die so that glory and delight may live. Let's pray. God, we want to be still before you. It says in your word, Psalm 46, to be still, to know that you are God and we are not. God, we have breath in our lungs, which means that you're not through with us. And God, we want to use our breath to glorify you because there we find our delight in you. God, by your spirit, would you enable us? Oh, we need you. We need you not just every day, not just every hour, but God, every moment in our parenting our job and our finances and our spousing in our churching God would we be a people who sin ourselves on the weight of your glory so much so that we'd be sent out of this place with a weight about us we want to be still before you
to know that you are God and we are not. For your glory and our good. 